Welcome to episode 159 of the Jackson Hole Connection, recording right here in beautiful Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Support for this episode comes from Jackson Hole Real Estate and Associates, the region's largest and most dynamic real estate company in the Valley. For more information and to view current listings, visit jhrea.com. And also sponsoring this episode is Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling. They are reminding you to reduce, reuse, recycle, and compost. Avoid using those single-use products whenever possible, and remember to bring your reusable bags whenever you go shopping. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I am Stephen Clark Abrams, your host. Thank you, everybody, who's tuning in again, and welcome to all of you new listeners. Remember, it helps people find and enjoy this podcast by you sharing it and giving us a rating. Get out there on Facebook or however you listen to your podcast and share this podcast with your friends. The people sharing their stories are the same people we see each day walking around town or enjoying a nice quiet walk on the dike. I feel we all have a story to share and I wanna bring you stories which you will connect with and that's gonna add good energy to your day. Sharing stories allows us all to learn and grow. So let's get out there and share some stories. And my guest today is Melissa Schinkel. Melissa has one of the most unforgiving jobs in our county, Teton County Assessor. Although Melissa was not born in Wyoming, I would consider her a Wyoming native. From all the years of growing up on the southeastern side of the state and all the years of living right here in Jackson, Melissa has lived in the Valley for several decades and started her career in the service industry, working for a car rental company. In today's world, Melissa is married to one of the coolest badass fellas in Jackson, Charlie. And combined, Charlie and Melissa know how to live a fun life. Serving the public as county assessor is an important role in relation to the county and state finances. Melissa carries a huge burden. And today, Melissa will share with us how her number one objective is to uphold the law. Melissa, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. Lovely to see you, and I appreciate your time today. Well, thank you so much, Stefan, for having me. This is this is fun. I've been looking forward to it. Thank you for saying so. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off with sharing with everybody who's listening today your background as far as where you grew up and how you landed here in Jackson Hole and how long you've been living here. Sure. So I originally uh, come from Torrington, Wyoming, which is a small town on the eastern side, southeastern side of the state. Um, population's about 6,000. Great upbringing there, you know, small town, kind of wanting to get out in a way. And when I graduated high school, I spent some time in Seattle. And after that kind of didn't work out, I uh, came back to Torrington and quickly realized that returning home uh, was a lot more difficult than I imagined after living on my own for a while and then going back to my hometown and and there's not a lot of work there unfortunately you know it's it's a pretty depressed economy there so even then um, I had a friend who had moved to Jackson with her mother her mom had come up here previously and you know one of the rental car companies at that time were when the new cars would come in you would have to drive to Jackson to the Ford Motor Garage, which is now where the, across from Sidewinders. And 
we would shuttle cars back and forth all day, you know, just one after another, but it was $10 an hour, which was probably $5 an hour more than I could have ever made in Torrington. So, Mm. um, of course, like many other folks, I, my intent was to stay for the summer that was in 1992 and haven't left since spent a little time, you know, maybe a winter. I spent one winter in Arizona, but other than that, uh, Jackson's been my home for a long, long time now. Well, we're very lucky to have you and have you. you call this your home. Yes, it's a great place. I love learning more about different parts of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And I would be very interested for you to share a little bit about Torrington, Wyoming, how your family landed there and sure. what made Torrington, Torrington. Sure. So interestingly enough, I I say I'm from Torrington. I I should disclose, full disclosure here. Um, I actually was born in Seattle and my mother, God bless her, had been married a couple of times and she divorced my father and met a fisherman from Lusk, Wyoming. He was up in Seattle doing some commercial fishing and they met and decided to get married and then they decided to go back to Wyoming. So my mother, who had never stepped foot in Wyoming, um, this is about 1974, maybe going into 75, moved to Lusk, which of course at that time, the population was like negative 10 people, I think. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But um, his family had a ranch there. And uh, so they lived there um, for several years. And then migrated to Torrington just because it was slightly, it was larger and provided some more work opportunities. So Torrington is a farming community. Uh, It is, uh, I don't know if you would say famous, but certainly the industry was um, sugar beet. So we had a large factory there and that employed a large portion of of the residents, Holly Sugar. And of course, farming was, was the other industry there. And it's a great, it's a great quiet community. I, I often miss it. Um, when I go back to visit, I find it comforting. It's quiet. It's simple. It's, you know, obviously good memories just from growing up there. But like I said, it is, it is a depressed community. They now have a medium security prison, which mm. sounds terrible to some people, but it, it, it created more jobs, which was desperately needed there and, you know, has kind of helped sustain the community to my knowledge, because now the sugar beet factory has all but shut down. Mm. Um, And so, and so that really hurt the community there for a while. And, you know, it's pretty stagnant there. There's not a lot of new businesses or, you know, exciting events occurring, but um, it's still home and I still enjoy going back. Well, thank you for giving some background about Lusk and Torrington. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm very curious. You you said that the person that your mom married, they had a ranch and they lived there. Mm-hmm. And ranches in some people's minds are one thing. But when you get down to it and you hear about a ranch out here in Wyoming, it's another story. So I'm curious how many acres was that ranch? Sure. So it was over a thousand acres and it was a cattle ranch and, you know, very difficult to maintain. Um, the winters are terrible and, and you know, the, the land is rough. And my grandfather and the boys, uh, you know, tried to keep it going and the family tried to keep it going, but they did eventually sell. Um, and 
so I don't, I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time there. I did as a child and I have great memories. We would find petrified turtles and petrified fish and all kinds of stuff. It was a really cool place, but um, you know, ranching is really tough and it, it's unpredictable and it's hard to sustain. So unfortunately they, it went away. It It is tough. And the ranchers here in town had a tough go of, of it and, and still in some ways do. Yes. Yes. I, um, because of my upbringing in an ag community, my, my vision and my experience with ag is much different than, than what we see here in Teton County. Mm. Uh, you know, I could probably count on one hand, the properties that I consider to be a true ag operation. Now Alta has a lot more ag, but it's, it, it is interesting to see the, the difference and, you know, people really working the land and trying to live off it versus it kind of being an extra, you know? Um, so it's, it's a tough lifestyle and uh, I admire those that, that do it for a living. I, I do too. It's um, talking about beholden to mother nature. Yes. When yes. you're in that world. So you didn't stay working for the car rental place forever. No, I did not. Eventually, <laughs> what have you been doing? I know. What have I been doing since 1992? Moving <laughs> yeah, out here and driving rental cars. Yep. So I I met my first husband here, and later had my daughter Sabrina, and um, we stayed actually with the rental car companies for quite a while. He was also working um, at one of the counters. So you know, we had a lot of good friends out there. It was a great job in your 20s, you know, and. Uh, uh, we, uh, after our, we spent the winter in Arizona, we went down to see my grandparents and spent a winter with them, which was lovely. We came back to Jackson and, um, cause of course the house we were, even then the house we were living in, you know, was being sold. And so we kind of were homeless for a, for a couple months. So we decided, Hey, let's just get out of here for the winter. So when we came back, the rental car company hired me back, which was very great. And then I saw an ad in the paper for a vehicle title clerk in the county clerk's office. And I applied and there was some miscommunication and I had checked in at one point to see if I was going to get an interview. And they said, no, they'd already hired for the position. And I had a little mini breakdown because I was ready for something a little more, you know, professional, I guess. Fortunately at that time, they, they, it was a mistake. And so they did call me for an interview and I was fortunate to get the job. You know, it, it didn't seem, it seemed like such a big deal to me at that time because, you know, I had been in the rental co- in the, in the tourism se- sector. And um, this just seemed, you know, it had benefits and it was Monday through Friday and it would be good for a family. And so I was super grateful for the opportunity and the old county, the, the, the old, old county clerk, Jolyn Coons, who was county clerk for, I don't even know how long, probably close to 30 years, if not a little more, um, is the one who hired me. And then um, the next county clerk, Sherry Daigle, of course, took over. And so I've worked for her for about, I worked for her for about 20 years in the county clerk's office doing various, you know, various positions and really, you know, got to experience all facets of that elected office. And I learned a lot. It was a great, it was a great career for me. And, and now what is your role? (laughs) So Sherry and I had a plan and that plan was always that I would run for County clerk eventually. And um, she decided to run again. 
And I, you know, I was disappointed. I'll be honest. I was disappointed. And I, I felt like it was time for the next, the next thing. I was ready to move up and move on and, and change positions. And at the, at the, about the same time, the former assessor, Andy Cavallaro resigned prior to the end of his term. And as much as I, you know, wanted to stay in the clerk's office, Sherry and I had a great discussion and she said, well, I don't, I don't want to lose you, but I certainly, somebody needs to do that job that is familiar with the structure and the operation and what's involved in public service, you know, and, and help us to, to handle that responsibility. So she, with her encouragement, I applied for the appointment at the time and interviewed with the board. There were a couple of her, a couple other applicants, and I was fortunate to be selected by the county commissioners um, to fill the remaining portion of Mr. Cavallaro's term, which was a huge risk for me because I had no idea whether I would get elected. So I, I had the luxury of being in the office for about a year prior to me having to to run for election. But I certainly had I kind of hung myself out there. <laughs> I was I'm I'm grateful that I the people elected me for sure. But it was, you know, it was a little nerve wracking. And then during the, you know, during the primary I was not expecting to have any competitors, but I ended up with one competitor and through a write-in campaign that she had, you know, received the required votes to be on the general ballot. So it it turned into a real campaign, which is a good experience for anyone. There's a lot of ups, a lot of downs, and it is not for the weak at heart. Um, you know, you you feel attacked, you feel like people are bullying you, and you know, and and you're constantly trying to sell yourself in the middle and, and try to share your knowledge and and how you can do this job. But it's it's difficult. It's a difficult process. But I certainly hope that more people consider running for offices because, you know. It's it's a tough it's a tough thing to be an elected official, but it's it's also so important. And I think you know variety is good, and I I hope that more people will consider it in the future. Well, thank you for running and putting yes. yourself out there for the position. And what did it feel like to know that you were taking a job which you were relying on your community? to ensure that you still had your job because whether you were going to take Sherry's position as county clerk, well, it's not that you could take it. You still have to be elected for it or in the count as a county assessor. What is that like to know that every election cycle, your, your position's what up for election every four years? Yes, it is. Yes. To know that every four years you have to go in front of the public and say, rehire me, please. And here's why. It's it's terrifying. (laughs) Honestly, you know, it weighs heavily on you and you, um, you hope that you have represented the position and and the taxpayers well enough for them to trust you. And, you know, they may not always like what you have to say or what your decision is, but it has always been my priority to, to make people feel heard and to have dialogue when things are confusing and upsetting. And, um, but certainly campaigning can get ugly. And as much as we all like to think it's perfect little, you know, friendly, friendly race, it, you know, inevitably things start happening and and you do get, you feel attacked and uh, that's tough. And, and you, and you are, you, you start, 
doubting yourself, you know, and whether you can do it and, and, and whatever. So, you know, my opportunity for the last couple of years in this job has, has, you know, been to work with the public and where I didn't really have that before. I, I was coming into this position saying, oh yeah, hey, I've been here a year and please trust me to do this job. I felt more confident going in, you know, expecting to run as the county clerk because I had so many years of experience. Um, but this job, I certainly, while I had a baseline, I certainly had no idea how difficult it would be. Um, and I, I can readily admit that now. <laughs> you know, when I was running and wanting it, it, it just seems like, you know, nothing's going to get in the way and, and I'm determined and, and I want to do this. And, and, you know, but I certainly... I certainly didn't know how difficult it is and not just this job, but any elected position. Mm -hmm. So I could, I can see that for, I'm, I'm, I have a very curious question. You're elected by the voters of Teton County. Yes. Your position is created by County or state. So the state of Wyoming's constitution, you know, separates or, designates to the county certain powers, of course, and within those laws designates the sheriff, the clerk, the assessor, the treasurer, the county attorney, et cetera, the commissioners. So so my job in particular, while all of the elected officials, you know, our job is to uphold the law um, in whatever office we're in um, and to, you know, follow those policies and and statutes. Um, My job is sort of, it's a little different because while the constitution and the statutes, you know, provide direction for some things, the statute also, the statutes specifically designate many, um, much, much oversight to the Wyoming Department of Transportation, or geez, let me get my departments right, Department of Revenue. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I, yes, I am elected by the taxpayers and it, it, it's a very difficult place to be in because I do not have the latitude that many other elected officials have. You know, they interpret their policies and they, you know, act based on their interpretation with consult and, you know, many other sources. But um, I have an extra layer of oversight that makes it very difficult to act on behalf of just the taxpayers or act on only my behalf, even, you know, even my. Uh, feelings or or decisions on how to do certain things are often contradicted by their power and puts this office in a def in, in a very different situation uh, with the state and it's a tough balance there now if I hear you correctly you have by taking that elected position you're sworn into your position I am sworn into my position and I actually have a whole different oath so I am sworn in with two different oaths where the other elected officials are sworn in with one and by being sworn in you take two oaths that says you're gonna follow the statute set at the state level that the county follows yes and your room of navigating that statute, in between the lines, if I hear you correctly, not putting words in your mouth, is quite narrow. It's almost not working in between the lines. Would you say it's working on the line? I, Stephen, I would agree with it's working on the line. I certainly, you know, there's subjectivity to everything. And, and, and I do have some, you know, latitude when it comes to decisions and, and how to 
how to do certain things. But ultimately, not only does the statute say something, but then I have a whole nother set of rules that I have to follow that are, are from the Department of Revenue. And so often when I'm having discussions um, with taxpayers or, attor- or their attorneys, what have you, you know, the statutes are always referred to. The statutes are, you know, the first thing we're talking about. But what many people don't realize is that I have a whole other set of guidelines that are not well known. And so while the, the statutes are, can be broad on some topics, those rules are more specific and guide many of my decisions. Most of oh. my decisions, I would say. Where does the other set of rules come from? So the state legislature specifically granted the authority to the Department of Revenue to promulgate rules that govern assessors in Wyoming. And so the Department of Revenue has done so, and they have multiple chapters. And it's not just property tax, you know, the Department of Revenue oversees sales tax and use tax. So they, they are multi-leveled, you know, in, in what they're doing. But yeah, I'm referring to those rules all the time. And Department of Revenue, um, not only just the Department of Revenue, but we also have another oversight, and it's called the State Board of Equalization. Hmm. So... I have sort of two levels of, of, you know, auditing and analysis and, and different things that I am required to produce for those two entities all of the time. And although um, I am an elected person, uh, the statutes also give the authority to the Department of Revenue to consider whether I am doing my job um, effectively and correctly. Um, and they, of course, could could move that I be you know removed from office. They could take those steps. Well, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> and so far, yeah, you know, so, uh, when I when I came to this office, and, and here's another kind of story going back to my appointment and my election. This office was under what's called state order, um, which again is quite a bit different than other elected offices um, because previous, you know, uh, assessors and employees or what have you were not meeting those requirements that had been set forth by the Department of Revenue and the State Board of Equalization. And so once that happens, they have the power to come in and say, you need to get this all cleaned up and you need to do it within this time frame. And here are the things you must do or, or you're going to jeopardize your county for one and their valuation and then also, you know, if it moves on down the line, then you might not have a job. I, I have not ever heard of the state, re, you know, pursuing the removal of an assessor. So so that's good. But they definitely have the authority to hand down some mandate. And when you run for election and you have somebody who's running against you, an opponent, there's not a, really a lot of room that that person has for your type of position. Yeah, I think, you know, when I, when I think back to my campaign and, and, and things that were said or the perception, you know, well, you can do anything you want. You're the elected official and, and this is wrong and, and you can change this. Or if I run, I'm going to change this, but truly you, you don't have that latitude. And as much as I 
would love to be able to, you know, give everyone I know tax breaks or lower their values or, or what have you, you know, that's all audited and that there is a level of expectations that if I, you know, if I don't meet, then there are consequences. And so when, you know, I think when someone runs for this position or wants to run for this position, they really need to have an understanding of their, you know, what they can do and what they can't. And of course, at the end of the day, I guess you can do whatever you want, but there will be consequences to that. And I think, you know, that's sort of changed in the last definitely five years. I think it was, it was changing prior to that, but, you know, the office had much more latitude in, in the past. And, and we laugh about this because we have, you know, we have a lot of people that will call in and say, oh, I don't like my taxes. And last time I called in, you just changed them. And, and that, that was done occasionally, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, that had been done a lot. And that is one of the reasons that the state had to come in and say, you will not do this anymore, because there was no justification for most of those adjustments. And it was, it's much easier, of course, and I, I would love it, if I would say, if I could say yes, Stephanie, your taxes are too high. So I'm going to cut off 30%. Because who knows, you only have a one car garage instead of a two. But that creates a lot of issues down the line. And so when I came into this office, that was kind of priority number one. I didn't have a choice and I didn't realize the scope and the effects that it truly was going to cause. Um, I had an idea, but certainly it was much tougher and and I knew nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> the silver lining and all of that is that, you know, how do you learn best? You know, you just you just have to do it and you learn. And I certainly had the fire hose on me and I don't think I would have learned and become as familiar with the process if not for that first year. So it was a good experience in the long run. But I'm, it was I'm so <laughs> I'm so enjoying this hearing. I, I really am because it's I bet you what we're talking about today, most people don't have a true understanding about for if they live here or any yep. town or county they live in. Right, right. So this is really important. I appreciate you sharing this, Melissa. Sure. We're, we're going to have a quick break to have a word from one of our sponsors, and then we're going to be right back and, and get back into what is the role of the Teton County Assessor. Thanks. Jackson Hole Real Estate and Associates is the market leader in Jackson Hole, providing every client with unparalleled professionalism and breakthrough marketing strategies. Their organization is comprised of dedicated and experienced real estate professionals, and they offer a collection of some of the most sought after properties in the Valley. For more information on buying, selling, or market stats in Jackson Hole, visit jhrea.com or call 307-733-6060. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling wants to remind you to bring your reusable bags whenever you go shopping for groceries or at your favorite store around town. Reusable bags are good for the environment and your wallet. Remember to wash those bags frequently and to put them back in your car or bicycle bags so you always have them handy whenever you go shopping. By using reusable bags, we have helped remove millions of single-use plastic bags from the waste stream. Now, we can reduce the amount of paper bags purchased as well. Food waste composting in addition to yard waste composting is available at the trash transfer station facilities. 
Give them a call, 307-733-7678 for up-to-date hours of operations. Melissa, welcome back. I have a question about what people's perception is of the county assessor and what can be impacted or affected. Sure. And what I mean by that is your regulation is created by, you said the state, and then they give it over to Department of Revenue to create the rules and regulations. And then you also have some oversight by the Department of Equalization. Now, what can our local county commissioners do as far as creating regulation or policy for your role as the county tax assessor? That's a very good question. And my favorite answer is not a dang thing. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's, it <laughs> I say it in jest, but it's true. The county commissioners um, have one role. In, well, a couple, well, two, I'll say two major roles. A, I'm setting your value. I am approximating what your house would garner on the open market using like sales of, of properties that are similar or within a defined neighborhood. I am analyzing those sales to determine what the market is doing and how that's going to affect the properties within that described neighborhood. So if we had no need for property tax revenue, that's where it would stop and nobody would have a problem with the assessor's office because I don't tax. So the commissioner's role is to determine what mill levies are needed according to our budgetary needs. So I'm going to hand over to them what the county value is, and they are going to compute how many mills they need to take care of certain parts of the budget. In addition to that, as far as my office goes, the county Board of Commissioners also acts as the County Board of Equalization. So when you um, protest your value with me and we cannot, you know, come to an agreement or, uh, you know, my analysis is, is showing one thing and you, you just don't believe that's right, you can protest your taxes formally and that is heard in front of the County Board of Equalization. So, which is also a very interesting process. They are not there to lower your taxes. They cannot tell me to lower your taxes or to do something a different way. They can only rule on whether the assessor is applying and following the rules and regulations of statute and the Department of Revenue. So in other words, their job is to, to review the evidence and make sure that I valued that property using prescribed methods. They won't, they may not agree with it. They may think it's too high or, you know, but they cannot tell me to change it. And that's frustrating. And I, and I certainly understand that for taxpayers. I, I did not know that that was the program at all myself. Um, and so it, it can be a frustrating experience because let's face it, it's, it's not stacked in the taxpayer's favor. Property tax revenue is extremely important in Wyoming because it funds 75, almost 75% of our public schools. And, um, you know, many communities do not have the tourism 
that we do. Now, some are blessed with oil and gas, of course, but, um, you know, without our property tax revenue statewide, our public schools would be hurting. Mm. They would not be operating. That's their role is to, to, you know, again, make sure that I'm sort of following what I need to do, but, but they are responsible for setting the mill levy. And as the assessor, are you focused on other assessments than property taxes? Are you doing anything else for the Department of Revenue? So we are responsible for um, inventorying and taxing personal property, which is a really strange concept for most folks. If you have a business, you are required to report report all of your business property, things like your computers, your shelving, your you know, computers, what I think I already said that, sorry, but, um, so when you open a business, yeah, (laughs) you have a list. Yeah. So every year we send you a little letter and say, Mm -hmm. is this what you still have? And it's frustrating for business owners. A, there's not enough education out there. You know, when you're applying for a business license, nobody says, oh, hey, you got to pay personal property tax. So, so that's unfortunate, but it, it, and then of course you've already paid for those items and you have paid sales tax on them. So it seems sort of counterintuitive that you still have to keep, you know, paying tax on it. But, you know, the system is set that way because you are deriving an income off of that equipment per se, and that is taxable. So so we are responsible for doing that. um, And we are responsible for setting value on homes. And I think that's about it. I think I don't, you know, other than kind of the auditing and, and, you know, I, here's kind of another broader you know, issue is what many people don't understand or even know. And I, of course, wouldn't expect them to, but if I don't do my job correctly, the state board of equalization can say, Teton County, the values that your assessor is using are not good. They're not proper. She's done it the wrong way. She hasn't followed through with her obligations and they can not approve are, you know, set money for the year, they can hold that up. And which of course means you, you know, even though they're going to set the mill levy, no one's going to get any money Hmm. until I get that right. So that to me is always looming over our heads here is we've we've got to get that right. And we have to do it in the ways that they're prescribing it, or they're not going to let it, you know, go through. And since you've been in office, has Teton County come out of that state order? We, we did. Um, the first year, uh, we worked on getting everything cleaned up and there's still been some trickling in of things. You know, we, it's, it's a huge process to, you know, go through 14,000 properties and um, determine what's right and what's wrong or inconsistent or, you know, what have you. And, and so, of course, we've had to schedule out things. So, for instance, this year, um, you know, we tackled agriculture and um, that was a big project and it was a uh, difficult and controversial projects. So, you know, there are some things that you have to keep working through. Conservation easements were another one. The state reminded me or gently nudged me my very first year, you know, that things were not right with conservation easements and you need to start doing something with them. So they were, it was nice that they gave me a good time period to do it in, but changes had to be made. And so since, since that first order, I have not received any disciplinary um, actions from the board again. From the board? Yes, from the state board. 
Yes, your constituents yes. know the we story. We got a lot of words. <laughs> yes, yes, constituents not not so happy, unfortunately. But well, uh, sure, you see your property tax bill go up, and you're like, oh my gosh, and yeah, why is this happening? And yes. I can't believe it. And, and it's it's been you know, unfortunately, I, I, I it's no laughing matter, but it was a perfect storm when I first came to office. Not only did we have all of these things to correct. And, and most um, severely was the commercial real estate in town. And, you know, so you have, you have all these, you know, values that have to come up to market. Then you have this incredible market on top of it. So things are getting corrected, which would make it go up anyways. And then you have this huge real estate market happening, which has just continued to rise. And so nobody can catch a break. It's, it's been nonstop and it's been, it's, it's been difficult to administer and especially to watch. I'm, I'm sure it is tough to watch. I'd love for you to explain a little bit about when landowners pay the property taxes and it, gets paid to the county, you then, what's that process? You then, sure. please tell us, because how does it come back to the county to use it? Because you said, if the county doesn't follow process, the state can hold the money. Yep. So, so once we provide what we call the abstract, which is just the overall value of the county and all of the components that have contributed to that. Once the treasurer sends out the bills and the money is collected from the taxpayers, she starts distributing it to the various entities on your tax bill. So on everybody's tax bill, it's going to show, you know, 25 mills to the state school fund and 12 mills to the local school, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the conservation district, the, li or the library is included with the county, but um, the fire fund uh, and, and depending where you live in the county, you may be uh, living in a what's called a special district and they have the power to impose their own taxes for improvements within that area. So depending on where you live, you know, you will have a different mill rate. Now, for the first time, as everybody knows, um, the town of Jackson just assessed 0.5 of a mill. And so for many, for forever, really, people within the city of Jackson were paying a slight bit less property taxes than those outside of the city limits um, because the town was not assessing mills. This year with their assessment, um, now town and county folks are paying the exact same amount. The only variance are those special districts. So once the money starts coming in, then the treasurer distributes it to those entities. All the money goes to the school, you know, the state school, and then they kind of dole it back out to the local schools. By the time everybody gets paid, and this, this is, you know, this, we talk about this a lot, Teton County General Fund gets very little of our property tax income. We're talking, I think last year was maybe 13 and a half million dollars out of, I don't, you know, hundred million dollars or something. So we don't get a lot. And, and although, again, it's no laughing matter, but I, but I do have to say this to taxpayers, your taxes could be a lot worse because our county commissioners have kept our mill levy um, at a pretty steady amount and and certainly not at the max. They have the ability to assess up to 12 mills. I think they're at seven or eight right now. If we were like other Wyoming communities, we would be assessed at 12 mills because we wouldn't have the tourist industry and the sales tax revenue to support our operations. 
So very little property tax actually goes to the county general fund Hmm. in the grand scheme of things. That's always an interesting thing to share with folks because, you know, of course, when the taxes go up, people call and say, well, are the mill levies going to go down? You have more money. What are you spending it on? You know, is it is is this going to change? But the unfortunate, well, it's not unfortunate. It's good for us. But, you know, they're not assessing the full mills. So they don't have a lot of wiggle room as far as, you know, where they're going to go. I think, you know, I've heard commissioners talk about, well, maybe we don't need any property tax because we're so flush with sales tax. I mean, that was kind of a pie in the sky thing. But like I said, if we had, you know, if we didn't have any property tax mills, this would be such an easy job for me. <laughs> so if we didn't have any property tax mills, that means that we as landowners, whoever owns land, you wouldn't be contributing to the state overall. You would still have to contribute to the state school stuff. You would have to contribute to the school stuff uh-huh. that are set by legislature. So mm-hmm. the schools have mills that are set that, that they're assessing at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, the conservation district and weed and pest, they have mills that are set by statute. So if they still impose those mills, those would still have to be paid. Okay. But, but the county general ones could be eliminated, you know, in a, mm-hmm. in a great world. But yes, you'd still have some. And, and one final question, there's something that's done around states and, and Wyoming has an interesting method of way, way it does it that is quite favorable to depending on what side you go with, but it's the auction of outstanding tax property tax bills. Yes. And that happens in August for Teton County, correct? It does. And so give a little bit more detail as far as what that process looks like and what it means and how successful are people as far as getting paid back that investment? Yeah, it's a, it's a great investment. If, if you're fortunate to attend uh, the, the auction um, and you are chosen, of course, in Teton County, there are far more people that show up than properties. So mm-hmm. the treasurer has, you know, kind of a, what do you, I don't know if you want to call it a raffle or, or whatever. And if your number is picked, then you are eligible to bid on a property. So unfortunately, a lot of people don't get that opportunity. But yes, once your taxes become delinquent, the treasurer can sell them at tax auction. So you retain the property, but someone else is, has paid your taxes. And when you pay them back, you pay them back like 18% interest. It's a it's a big chunk. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, I can't I can't think of a property that has actually been transferred via tax sale. Most everybody, especially with, you know, I mean, property is super valuable here. You're, you're going to figure out hmm. how to get those paid back. Mm-hmm. And and so most people will, will pay those back. And I believe you have up until eight years that it can go into arrears. But, it, you know, if, if someone passes away or if they want to sell, those, of course, have to be paid back first. So if you're lucky enough to, to draw and you can you can do it, it's, it's a pretty good return. Cool. Yeah. So people can keep an eye out for that next August. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Go get their lottery ticket. But they have to show yeah. up for cash for the value of the taxes that are due. Yes. They have to be able to pay the taxes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So if, if you get selected for the property that has three hundred dollars, 
Yeah. All right. Great. Or if you get the property that's selected that owes ten thousand dollars. Yep. Depends on what you can pay. I have a funny story. Uh, we did have a gentleman recently whose taxes were pretty far in arrears, and and it was it was going to be transferred. And the treasurer felt terrible about it, Katie Smiths. And she kept saying, Mel, I just, I got something, you know, kind of bugging me. I don't know why this person isn't responding. I don't. So your local county treasurer and local assessor went out to the property. <laughs> and, you know, the man is elderly and, and doesn't have a car and, and, and has just kind of sadly, you know, been omitted from society practically. You know, nobody really knows if he's there or if he's not or whatever. And fortunately, we were able to get him and get him to his bank and he paid his taxes and he got to keep his house. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think you get that type of caring. Yeah. Everywhere. Not, not ever. No. no. And, and we, you know, we've been out a couple times to see him just to see how he was doing. And mm-hmm. that's a small town. That's, that's what I still love about it here. There's, yeah. there's just enough of that left, I think. Well, it's, it's people like yourself who make that happen because it's, it is the individuals who, who, take those actions to care. So thank yeah. you. Yes. Yes. And I've had, I've struggled with that, you know, like this year has been hard on everybody and mm-hmm. town has changed a lot. And I think the locals are feeling definitely fatigued and, you know, but at the core, I think we still love it here and we still want to, you know, make it a good place. Yeah, we do. And you do. And your family does. And it's, it's much appreciated. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Melissa, I've, Loved this session today. Good, um, me too. Thank you. I've learned so much about what you do and the statutes that you are upholding and the oversight that you work within. And I appreciate you putting yourself out there for the good of our community and following what is sent down to you from the state to um, uphold. And I know it's not an easy job, and but you do it with grace and it's much appreciated. Well, I appreciate that very much. I, I know I can't make everybody happy, but I just, you know, I hope that they feel heard and valued and that that they receive some education on the process. And, and I hope that helps. It is an important process to be educated on. Yes. Yeah. Well, go have a good day there. Okay, you too. And we'll see you around town soon. And okay. I so appreciate your time, Melissa. Thank you so much. Take care. You're welcome. Bye-bye. To learn more about Melissa and her role in public service, visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com, episode number 159. Many thank you to everybody who helps keep this podcast going. It's all of you listeners. It's Michael who does the editing and marketing each week to support my wife and boys give me every single day. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.